This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Ohio U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer Crop Science. Bayer spends $2 billion annually developing biological and chemical products as well as digital innovations to enable farmers to use these inputs with more precision than ever. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown next. Nearly 40% of the food crops grown globally are lost every year to plant pests and diseases. A difficult statistic to accept when looking at a rapidly expanding population. That's why Bayer works to provide farmers with tools they need to confront this challenge. Tools that include biological and chemical products as well as important digital innovations that enable farmers to use these inputs with more precision than ever before. Integrated Weed Management, or IWM, is the hallmark of everything Bayer does to help farmers protect their crops. Bayer has championed IWM for generations within the ag industry. In fact, Bayer invests over $2 billion in research and development for farming solutions every year. And a major part of that is into more solutions for IWM. That investment has nearly doubled the spending of their closest competitors. To find out more about how Bayer is working to help farmers fight resistance, visit Bayer.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Amidst a frantic pace in Washington, Ohio U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown spent time with an interview last week discussing the social and financial challenges facing the nation. Brown says the disarray stems from the election. First of all, it's a understanding a third of the electorate doesn't accept this president as legitimately elected. That puts a pall on everything. And almost half the members of both houses concur in that, or at least act like they concur in that. That puts a, a wet blanket on all that we do. No whining, no complaining, we got to do what we got to do, but it's also the most complicated time I've ever seen. I, You know, we have all of the problems of always the economy, and on top of that we have climate, and on top of that we have the pandemic. So, again, no complaining. I chose to do this for a living and you know, worked hard to get to the Senate, but um, it, it's, it's, it, it is a more complicated time, and um, and government is, has not functioned as well as we all hoped it would. We've also, though, seen government perform in some ways uh, perhaps better than we've seen government show that it matters and that government can be on the side of the public. Look what we did in the midst of the pandemic with the CARES Act, and it saved 12 million people from falling into poverty. It kept all kinds of small businesses together. It kept farms afloat. It did all kinds of things that only government could do, and that, that speaks to me of, of what kind of government we could have and should have. I want to protect the both of us as we're talking about a moving target with Washington right now, knowing that this edition of Open Mic is, is coming for AgriPulse. Let's talk about up to the time of the end of September. Are you comfortable, as you just alluded to, are you comfortable with the funds that Washington has appropriated to the various industries and to voters to try to protect us and bring us through this pandemic? Um, I, I'm, I'm never comfortable with what, entirely comfortable with what we've done because the, there is always unfinished business. 
Uh, I think we've done mostly the right thing. I think the child tax credit uh, it dropped the poverty rate by 40%. 92% of Ohio's children or Ohio's families with children have benefited from it, and I hear the stories far and wide about what a difference it's made in people's lives, low-income people, moderate-income people, middle-income people. Um, I think what we've done mostly in agriculture is working. I think what we've done uh, with helping small businesses working, I think we've done a, a maybe a grade C-plus on keeping people from eviction and at the same time trying to help landlords stay afloat um, these are complicated questions, and at the same time, you've got politicians who are questioning the even existence of the virus, that it's more, it's more or less just another flu, even though you know upwards of 650,000 people have died from this virus, and we have hospitals. I talk to hospital administrators all the time. Their hospitals are getting so overflowed with unvaccinated COVID patients that they can't take care of people in other ways, too, yet they're paying overtime and double time and all kinds of agency nursing programs and their budget. I mean, it's $20,000 for every COVID patient in a hospital that taxpayers are swallowing in large part because millions of Americans don't believe or have not believe, don't believe in getting the vaccine. So in the bipartisan infrastructure bill that the Senate approved, the House has been considering, but also at the same time with an eye on the Build Back Better. I just want to talk about that $1.2 trillion in infrastructure. How critical is the spending for roads, bridges, runways, rail, and ports, uh, broadband? How important is that legislation now? Uh, very now, and it's... Um I, I, I repeat, you're now because you were right, emphatically saying that. I, you know, I, I've, I've been around a little while here, and I, I've noticed that through presidents, maybe starting even with Bush too, Bush, maybe starting back with Clinton, but certainly Bush too, Obama, Trump, all of them have promised to do major infrastructure. It took this election, this president, and this new Senate to actually do it. It is bipartisan, but it took a new president in a new Senate to launch that bipartisan initiative. And I look at my state alone, there are 3,200 bridges in Ohio that are in various stages of disrepair. They're not all ready to fall. It's not an alarmist statement. I remember as a kid, I worked on a family dairy farm milking Guernseys, mostly Guernseys and some Holsteins. And we used to drive, I'd drive the hay wagon over these small little culvert bridges or take a on a tractor take a, a load of, of grain to the mill in Lexington. And we, um, you know, I, I crossed over all these little bridges. Those little bridges, there's some of the 3,200. And the Brent Spence Bridge, a multi-billion dollar bridge over the Ohio River is one of these bridges. And it's, it's water and sewer. Ohio kids have some of the highest levels of lead poisoning of any state in the country. And that's because of decaying infrastructure where we haven't replaced these pipes that leak lead into the water, affecting mostly poor kids' brain development. Presidents have promised this president's delivering on this infrastructure bill. We will do it. I'm confident the president will get the bill to his desk in October. And then we begin the rebuilding. And the one other provision that bill that's really, really important is um, Senator Portman, Republican, my colleague from Cincinnati, the other end of the state, he and I wrote very strong by America language so that we're not going to see the a Bay Bridge in California build out of entirely Chinese steel again. Those days are behind us. 
Senator, now let's talk about Build Back Better. And there are two senators that are balking certainly at the price tag. Others are balking at the price tag. What is in Build Back Better that is essential in in your mind sight? And can we afford $3.5 trillion? Well, the first question is, there are there are many provisions in there that are essential. We can afford it because we're going to pay for it, and we're going to pay for it by closing tax loopholes for the wealthy. We we know that we know that a, a family farm, a dairy farmer, a teacher, a firefighter pays a significantly higher percentage of their income in taxes than does a billionaire um, or a decamillionaire. And they have skated too long. They've not paid their fair share. America's workers, America's farmers, America's small businesses, they've paid their fair share. It's time that the wealthy who have evaded taxes, not I'm not saying they broke the law, I'm saying they hired lobbyists to write a law to their benefit. We close those loopholes, we do this right. Uh, this bill, it's, it's not inflationary in the least because it's paid for, so we can afford it. But look what it does, it will drop the price of prescription drugs. Think about um, the VA. Uh, the VA uh, negotiates drug prices and saves 40, 50, 60 percent. Well, I was a member of Congress. I live in Northeast Ohio, and I used to um, rent a bus and take a bus load or two at a time of seniors from Lorain County, Ohio, west on Lake Erie, west of Cleveland, to Canada. And we would buy prescription drugs. We'd have they'd have their um, prescriptions and all that. We had a local doctor in Ontario that, and they get their drugs. They get 40, 50, 60, 70 percent off. Same drug, same dosage. We're going to start doing that in this bill. Um, it also has the biggest investment in conservation programs since the Dust Bowl. I'm really sensitive to that because of Lake Erie, the shallowest, most vulnerable and most polluted Great Lake of the five, the greatest body of water, fresh water in the world. Um, it has um, it has the child tax credit, which benefits farm families in northwest Ohio every bit as it, much as it benefits a, a factory working family in Youngstown or a moderate income family where they work $12 an hour jobs doing home care in Dayton. So it's a, it's a, it is a bill we, it's a law we need to do. It will matter for families and it will create a whole lot of jobs. So let's talk agriculture for just a moment. Uh, there's funds in there for conservation and climate smart agriculture. This is an add on to the farm bill. Are you okay with adding to the farm bill in a budget reconciliation package, really absent the agriculture committees in the legislature? I, I don't think, I, one of the things i found here, Jeff, is that voters in my constituents at town halls, at round tables, at the grocery store, whatever, don't really care about the process. They don't care if did this bill have committee hearings, did that bill go through that committee, was this bill marked up um, in a overnight, late night session. They, they care about what we do. And I've worked on one, two, three farm bills now. I've been on the Ag Committee longer than any, I think longer than any center in Ohio history. And um, I, you know, I don't, we don't win everything we want. We don't lose everything we don't want. But um, we've worked together in that committee, the most bipartisan committee perhaps in the Senate. We have differences, but we work through them. Um, and I think this, these are add-ons that matter. I was, spoke to the Ohio Farm Bureau Federation yeah, two mornings ago. I did it remote. I've done it in person for 11 or 12 straight years, whatever. And they ask about conservation, and they ask about, is it, is, do, we, do we do incentives or do we do mandates? 
understanding you do a little bit of both. You tell the city of Maumee outside of Toledo you can't dump sewage directly in the Maumee River, which feeds into Lake Erie, which ends up with algae blooms in the lake. So there are mandates, but there are also incentives. We built some of those in the Farm Bill. We didn't do enough of them. And these kinds of conservation programs, really, they're, they're more carrot than they are stick. I think they will work. I think that people that live along Lake Erie, people that depend on Lake Erie for their drinking water, which is literally millions, they will benefit and farmers will benefit. And, and what's not to like about that, whether the Ag Committee wrote it or whether my office wrote it or whether the President of the United States wrote it. So some would argue that the Build Back Better, we're not taxing income, we're now taxing wealth. So in the in the arena of what's the difference, Senator, what's the difference if we are able to uh, preserve stepped-up basis, but at the same time lower exemption levels with regard to inheritance or the death tax? In any regard, a farmer's wealth is being taxed. They're concerned about that. Well, first of all, most farmers' wealth is not being taxed. Calling it the death tax suggests that everybody dies and everybody pays it. That's just a, that's sort of, I'm not criticizing you here, Jeff, but that's a right-wing, far-right radical um, talking point that comes out of Fox and talk radio. Um, a very small number of people pay it. We have raised the exemption, so an even tinier number of percentage of people pay it. And we have seen in this country, because of bad tax policy, we have seen a small number of people become billionaires, often at the expense of the rest of us. Uh, in, in terms of they don't pay their fair share, they, accrue, they, they hand their billions to the next generation, essentially untaxed. These aren't, these aren't family farmers. I, I don't know, you know, I, I, I remember a newspaper did, not too many years ago, did a story about the quote unquote death tax. And they did not, they could not find a farmer in America who lost their farm because of the estate tax. We have built it in such a way that you've got to have the biggest ranch in Texas to pay the estate tax. It's, it's not family farmers in Ohio. I know Farm Bureau and these farm groups come to me and say, I, you're, don't, don't tax my farm. You're giving, you're doing the death tax. I ask them, does this affect you? Well, it might. I mean, it doesn't. And we've written it that way. So I appreciate farm groups mouthing the words of, of right-wing talk radio and Fox, but the facts speak otherwise. Senator Brown, this administration has talked a lot about energy. Uh, on the campaign trail, there was talk about renewable energy. Some farmers and some renewable groups are concerned that the RVO numbers are going to change, and maybe that there is a, a, an odds-on push toward electricity and a stepping away of some of these renewable fuels. Uh, there was a group of, of legislators that, that wrote a letter to the administration saying, please don't change the RVO numbers and, and talking about the advantages of renewable fuel. How do you read what's happening here with regard to energy in the country, and, and, and where do you stand right now? Well, I, I like what we're seeing right now. We're seeing an all of the above. Uh, we heard the previous administration talk about all of the above, but it was all about what, what the oil companies wanted. It wasn't biofuels. It wasn't corn growers. It was all about oil companies and, and Texas supporters of, of the president. Now it really is all of the above. It's 
it's um, reducing our dependence on foreign oil. It's developing the next generation of biofuels. I, I've been to some of these um, biofuel plants in western Ohio and corn country, and what they've done is, is remarkable and what they're continuing. You almost have to visit one every, every year to see the technology growing and changing. It increases the competitiveness of oil manufacturing. And you know, I was in a plant, the largest solar manufacturing plant in America. I believe it's the largest one outside of China in the world where they make solar panels. They, they sell directly to you, mostly to utility companies and large manufacturers that, that want to develop, that want to produce electricity on site. And um, it's just so exciting what they're doing. Um, their company is investing a half billion dollars on, a, on an expansion. I believe it's already the biggest in the U.S. will be even bigger. So um, I see this is this is a great opportunity for Ohio manufacturing. It's a great opportunity as we develop biofuels for Ohio agriculture. Um, it's not a great opportunity for foreign oil. And you know we are all of the above, but we're moving, of course, away from from fossil fuels. It's the best thing. One of the things we did in Build Back Better or in the um, bipartisan infrastructure bill is to help move 60,000 U.S. buses in public transit and city buses, move them from fossil fuels um, to, uh, in some cases, uh, natural gas, in most cases, battery-powered, so low-emission, no-emission buses. Um, and those are victories for American jobs, and they're victories for the environment, and they're, they're an essential part of defeating climate, climate change. Should the Department of Agriculture be able to develop programs using CCC funds that the agriculture committees haven't had a chance to discuss or endorse? Um, I don't know. I don't know that. I guess we haven't really explored that. Uh, administrations all the time use funds and move funds around a little bit. I, I assume if they do that and enough members of the Senate or House are unhappy about it, uh, we'll hold oversight hearings and, and slap them for it if that's what it comes to. But I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a big thing, but it's something that, I mean, I'm, I'm always looking to Bill Sack and the Department of Agriculture for, for innovation on, and helping farms and helping feed kids because that's part of the Ag Committee and I, I think we'll continue to do that. Another step then, uh, I spent time with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and talking to the others in the beef industry. I would bet over your tenure in Washington, there have been very few times that farmers or ranchers came to you and said, we need more regulation. We, we need more government. Senator, what's the answer with beef price discovery and some of the criticism that's coming from the consolidation that we have seen in the industry? Is this a concern yeah, for your I, constituents? I that, yeah, I mean, I, I know that generally agriculture wants fewer rules, not more rules. Uh, so does industry, but the government stepped up and made workplaces and coal mines safer, even though industry fought every one of those rules, just like um, General Motors fought seat belts and airbags. Now they brag about how safe their cars are because they got eight or ten airbags in them. So <laughs> I, I understand that the reaction is always, we hate regulation. Um, but I also know that um, there's that, that we've seen in the cat, we've seen among cattle cattle um, ranchers, they have fewer markets for their cattle, just like milk producers have fewer markets and commodities have fewer markets because of the, the merger after merger after merger after merger in agribusiness. And um, I always come, I don't come down on the side of agribusiness, I come down on the side of family farmers, and their interests aren't always together. 
And I think family farmers are realizing more and more. I mean, I, most family farmers I know in Ohio, the, the one of the two, the husband and the wife or both have to get an off-farm job just to make a living, and that didn't happen 30, 40, 50 years ago. That's partly because the, the people they sell, sell to are squeezing the farmers and not getting the price they want because agribusiness has so much power in the marketplace, just like big oil has too much power in the marketplace. And my job is to stand up to them and stand up for the worker and stand up for the family farmer, and I'll keep doing that. Senator, one more question before we go to close, and I'm going to put my rose-colored glasses on right now as I bring you this question. I'm going to move past the debt ceiling. I'm going to move past uh, reconciliation and all these other issues. And as a member of the agriculture committee with covid that has happened with the work that has happened in the industry and the challenges how do you see the landscape for developing a new farm bill i think we do it i when i spoke to the farm bureau this week uh i don't think i said this to them but i said it to some reporters afterwards because they they asked that question essentially and i said i one of the great things about this job i don't do big town halls where people scream at each other about abortion and guns and marriage equality or race or whatever, I tend to meet with small groups and roundtable formats. I've done those in all 88 counties in Ohio. I do them before every farm bill, and I probably I will start pretty soon next year, I think, as we begin to talk about the farm bill meeting with one day I'll meet with commodity, I'll meet with corn farmers in western Ohio. Another day I'll meet with dairy farmers in northeast Ohio. Another day I'll I'll meet with apple growers in Chillicothe, and and other days I'll then I'll go to the Ohio State Ag School and kind of listen to them. And it really gives it's, it builds a foundation for me to have the kind of input on behalf of my state to on the farm bill. As I'm now as a third or fourth senior member on that committee, at least on the Democratic side, maybe third. Um, I will um, I will begin to work these through and see what what we do to modernize this farm bill. Senator, we want to thank you very much for taking time out of what is a frantic schedule in Washington to be with us on this edition of Open Mic. One of the traditions of Open Mic, Senator, is that you have the last word. Well, only thank you, and I thought your questions were thoughtful and and gave insight and forced me to think. And um, it's not late in the day yet, but you made me think a whole lot in this job. That maybe always take time to do. So for that, I'll be grateful and do it again, Jeff. Our thanks to Ohio U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer Crop Sciences, investing in developing technologies like integrated weed management to help farmers produce more with fewer inputs to feed a growing world. For AgriPulse. I'm Jeff Nally.